Hey everyone, welcome back to the Heath Bar. Are y'all ready for a nice frothy conversation served up perfectly just the way you like? I know I am. But first, a few housekeeping things. If you haven't checked it out yet, go online and check out my website, heathbaronline.com. It has all the previous podcast episodes up there as well as information on where to find uh, more information about all of the people that have been coming here and chatting. Uh, it also has a blog up there where I write down random thoughts that pop through my head about a bunch of different topics. The blog is brand new, uh, so there's not much up there right now, but there's going to be more coming every week and every day, probably. Uh, the next thing I'd like to ask you to do is, if you haven't yet, go leave a five-star review on iTunes and all the other podcast apps that you listen to and use. It does help get the word out about this. It helps people uh, hear about it and hear these conversations and let people know all the cool stuff that's happening around here in the Black Hills. Um, lastly, uh, this Saturday, that would be tomorrow, I am playing at the Deadwood Mountain Grand in Deadwood, South Dakota. We're playing in the afternoon on their outside Patron patio from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. So if you're feeling up for it, come hang out. I'll play some songs. You can have a few drinks, and we'll have a great all afternoon. Okay, lastly, the reason you're all here. This week, uh, I've got a good friend of mine, Daryl Stevenette, stopped by the Heath Bar. We had an awesome conversation. Uh, if you don't know him, he's a songwriter and author of several books, um, and he travels up here to the Black Hills area and plays in Deadwood, South Dakota uh, every summer. And then when the weather starts to turn south, he heads south. And he goes down to Florida and keeps on playing music. He's been doing that for about the last five years or so. Um, originally from around the Utah area. And uh, he picked this up and is really, really good at it. Uh, he's got a very soothing voice. Uh, I think we talk about it a little bit in the conversation. Uh, if you th- think of the song at the beginning of Toy Story, you kind of got an idea of the type of stuff Daryl writes and sings. Uh, but we talk a lot about his journey, the type of gear that he's using at his shows, which is a pretty interesting conversation if you're a gearhead like me and a few others I know. Uh, and then we talk about his songs, where they come from, uh, and kind of why he why he chose to write. So, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Daryl Stevenette. Welcome to the Heath Bar, where the conversations are always on tap. There's new breweries popping up, and new oh, I know. sushi yeah. places popping up, and yeah. it just keeps keeps expanding. But yeah, spearfish. Is getting out there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, cheers, man. Yeah. Welcome to the Heath Bar. <laughs> <laughs> the Heath Bar. I love it. <laughs> I was uh, I was trying to be clever. Um, a friend of mine told me he said if you're going to start something like this, you got to have your name in it because it makes it easy to find, and it kind of brands you with it. You know what I mean? Well, I, was I like, wasn't well, thinking booze. I was thinking the Heath Bar. The candy bar, right? Candy bar. And then, and then you said cheers. Oh, okay. There we go. There it is. There it is. Yeah. No, and of course, I was a bartender for years, so um, I just thought it'd be cool. And, you know, a lot of 
the whole idea of it came from just sitting down. What would it be like to sit down with someone and just have a conversation over a beer, you know? And some of these right. musicians and artists and people around the area and stuff. So that's kind of where I guess you should the idea probably be from. drinking something from Spearfish. Well, uh, we've done that a few times, but um, it's kind of nice to have like the guest picks what we drink because oh, I'm trying uh, new things that I don't normally drink or haven't yeah, really had and stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. And this is a. Uh, See, and I'm a fan of Red's Apple Ale. I don't choose it that often. Yeah, but um, but they it's make right, they make good stuff. It's not it's not beer per se. It's just kind of a fresh summer drink that you can yeah. down pretty quick. It's not it's not uh, heavy by any means. It's and it's got a hint of apple, which I like. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I've been like you were t- we were talking about earlier. I've I've been noticing as I hit thirty, my metabolism just like. Slow down. Oh, well, buddy, I'm 60 in February. <laughs> you believe that? 59. I got 20 years on you. Oh, I don't even want to know. No, I got 30 years on you. What am I talking about? It goes fast. It just, it just like a, like a switch. I mean, your girls will be getting married and calling you up and said, "Hey, we're at the hospital having a baby." I mean, hopefully when they're married, and yeah, later on. But yeah, it does happen quick. You get grandkids, and away you go. Yeah. So just, you're living in a real good time of the Earth's history, good time in you know in South Dakota history. You're into music. Music is getting better. I think Deadwood, where I spend most of my time playing, is turning into a little music hub. It's. I think. It, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. You got Yancey. He's been there forever. He was the only guy. Yeah. He's the only game in town. Right. And he's not giving up that gig anytime soon. He mm-hmm. loves it, and he you know must be making money, or he wouldn't be there. And right. they must like him. Yeah, he must bring people in, or they wouldn't have him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls himself the voice of Deadwood. Right. He sings a song that every time I see him to go by, I'm hearing the same song. It's called "Getting Old Sucks," and he yells <laughs> up the word "sucks." I got to get him on here. That'd be great. So, yeah, you should. <laughs> so I wrote a song called uh, "The Song Getting Old Sucks." I'll tell you what sucks is the song getting old. And uh, I haven't sung it yet. I don't dare, but uh, I've got a few lines written down. But I, I t- said to Yancey, I said, every time I walk by, you're singing Getting Old Sucks. He says, yeah, I do that a lot during the day, but it sells a lot of CDs. So I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. I said, well, there you go. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And people relate to it because people come in with Harleys or, you know, they're retired. They're Right. Yeah. They're, they're feeling the pains, the aches and pains. And then you got the trike clubs. Well, and I'm sure, like, the crowd just rotates every hour and a half or so throughout the day. So Quicker. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And he's telling the same dumb old jokes, but that's okay. I think yeah. he has a few more every year, but. Yeah. You know, why do cowboys have the same size balls? Uh, they like to move each other's trailer around. Oh, my God. I mean, come on in, kids. We got free beer for you and ice cream. I've never heard that one before. Oh my gosh! Holy crap! Yeah. It's not funny to you anymore. I'm guessing. Hey, kids, come on in, you little bastards. I mean, he gets away with a lot of stuff. Sure. Well, and plus, you have the whole Deadwood persona. Like it's kind of what people expect and yeah, and almost want when they come to visit and travel. And well, they bring know. friends and they go, "Oh, you got to hear this guy. He's got he's funny jokes." Yeah, and he plays a lot of. You know, original stuff. But he plays the tracks, which is great. I actually came into town. Cause yeah. I, went, I went to Florida. Been there two two winters. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there eight months. And last year I had 235 gigs, so I was really busy. Oof. Yeah, it was a lot of gigs. A lot of days I had two during the same day. Some days three. Jeez, I'd leave, I'd go, I'd go one to five, then I'd go six to nine, five minutes down the road. And, but I can pack up in about less than 15 minutes and it's one trip I yeah. put everything in my cart mm-hmm. and I've got 
I've, I made a decision, Heath, that I wanted to sound as best as I could with better gear. And so I've really focused on, you know, getting better gear. I've got really, really good speakers, high-end EVs. They're ETXs. Mm-hmm. They're 2,000 watts apiece. They're made out of birch. The nice thing about an 18-ply birch um, or 18-millimeter 14-ply birch, there's no bleed at the back. So when you put them up in front, and I put them right on the floor. Yeah. A lot of guys put them on stands. Well, when I eliminate the stands, it changed my life because I didn't have to pack them around because they're always falling off and they're always, you know, they're they're hard to throw in the car and they're rattling. And so I got rid of the stands. I put them on the floor right right in front of my, my stand. And then I put a monitor in between, which is an EV ZLX. And that's my monitor. It's got kind of a, a close throw mm-hmm. where the, the ETXs have a long throw. And the first day I, I put them, plugged them in, I hit that first cord and everybody in the bar turned. They could all hear it, and it wasn't loud. It was just it was, it was loud, but it wasn't like piercing. It, but those speakers are amazing. It's the same drivers and speakers that Kenny Chesney uses on tour. No kidding. Yeah, they they they're, they were designed for professional big stadiums yeah. in, in multiples, obviously, like line arrays and stuff. But um, they're not cheap. They're they're pretty pricey. About I don't know. So you know, though, I happen to know a really good friend who's a rep. So I sure, I, I, and you can throw them in like small venues, and they sound they don't yeah. like they don't overpower it at all. Right? No, but they, but it's loud, but people can talk, especially sure. when it's hit, hitting them in the legs. That, you know, yeah, got, there you I've go. Got, and then um, you know, I, I I bought a really cool mic. Um, it's a KSM eight uh, Shure. Uh, they hired a new uh, team to come up with some new ideas for mic. Sure did. And um, these these engineers, some of the old engineers had passed away. I'm sure it's an old company. Uh-huh. And um, they went through all the schematics of everything these guys had ever produced. And it took them eight years to come up with this mic. It's called a KSM-8. Um, it's probably three times as much, maybe four or five times as much as an SM-58. So they're okay. about 500 bucks. So yeah. they're not out of the world, but they're not cheap. Right. And they have two diaphragms. They have one kind of for the top end and one for the bottom end. Okay. Which is a new thing. Uh, they claim it. Uh, water doesn't hurt it, so if it rains on it, it's not going to hurt it. Um, and what I noticed with a better mic, and I was using Sennheiser's 935s, and I had an 835, then I went to the 935. Um, and I liked that mic, but as soon as I started using that Shure, I would have you know a little banter with the audience. Mm-hmm. Like here's an, here's an example. The other day, I didn't know what time the parade was coming down the road. I was going to stop because I'm right beside the parade, parade route. Right. I said, hey, what time does the parade start? Is it one thirty, or does anybody know? The, the owner of the bar, Matt, I don't know if you know Matt. I'm sure I've met him. Yeah, you need to meet him and yeah. be, become friends with him because you never know when he, you know, he'll hire you. or what. I mean, you live here all the time, so you're close yeah. by. Yeah. Um, he's at the back of the bar. He walks up and he goes, uh, the parade starts at one thirty, but it'll probably get here about one forty-five. I mean, he heard that. And I noticed the bartenders responding to me, and people, any birthday day, people usually ignore me. And all of a sudden, I get this mic. People are going, "Oh, I got a birthday over here," in the back table. So it so is it just gear, a clarity thing, like not I, so much I of a muffled sound. I or? don't know. It's just it's got a whole different concept. And when you sing through it, it's it actually is easier to sing. I can't describe it. And uh, it's not straining so hard. You don't have to. It's just easier. Huh. It's like, and then I hear another a really good mic. I talked to a friend of mine in Florida who I knew in Atlanta 27 years ago, and I just 
rediscovered where he was on Facebook, and he's a phenomenal musician down in St. Augustine, Florida, which is the oldest city in America. Mm-hmm. And Santa Fe is the second oldest city. And he's down there playing, and he says, well, let me tell you the mic I like. It's $200, and it's an EV ND967, but now they're called the ND96. And he said, it's awesome. So I did some research on that, and I called my friend, the EV rep, and he goes, he goes that mic is so hot, you don't have to give it much oomph, and it's, it's feedback-resistant through your monitors. It's built for a really loud stage with, with cymbals and drums and amps, and it blocks that out, and you got to get right on it. And he said, but for an acoustic guy where you can get right on it, and he says, the front of house engineers love this mic. So for 200 bucks, I'm probably going to get one and check it out. You know what I mean? I mean, it's worth it, yeah. You have a backup mic, right? So anyway, I'm starting to really you know, focus on gear. Uh, my pedal board has grown. I know yours has grown. I saw a picture of you the other day, and you got a lot of... You got the Aura, right? Um, yeah, so I've added... Um, the Fishman Aura. So the so the Fishman Aura is my DI, and I will probably, I'll probably use that thing to the day I die. Okay, well, I had the Platinum. Okay. The bigger, the bigger of the two. But the thing that I loved about the R was those samples that they did. Yep. They have the, the guitar sample sounds. And they have a compressor on it. My favorite thing about it is the FX loop. Um, that I don't have to run my looper through the through the board and then back through my channels. I can just loop it right through that pedal. And oh. so then I'm only all of my pedal board plugs into the soundboard through one XLR. That's it. Your whole pedal board the goes through the whole thing. Okay, I do it's something unreal. a little different. I didn't think about putting the uh, the looper through the effects loop. I, what I got have there is a DC seven. I think it's a Boss a digital reverb mm-hmm. pedal that it's it's new out and it's uh, it's probably in the last year or so. It's got some really good reverbs and things that I will switch out a little bit. It's got kind of a shimmer mode. Mm-hmm. Sounds almost like a keyboard. And okay, it, there's some cool yeah. stuff. So what I do is this. I come out on my guitar. I bought a new guitar. I bought a Taylor T5Z. Oh. Yeah. And I bet that's pretty. Yeah, it is. It's it's a sonic blue. It's kind of a light, light east, like a robin egg blue, which okay. I thought would be cool for Florida. So I bought that, and I just fell in love with the guitar because it's so easy to play. It's got an ebony neck. It's very fast. It's got bigger frets, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. But it is really light to the touch. Uh, I usually use 10-gauge strings. This has 11s, and you have to use electric strings because if you want to use the... Um, it's got two double humbuckers in it. Mm-hmm. It's got one... Uh, it looks... They're stacked, which means they're one above the other. Okay. Like, usually double humbuckers are wide. These yeah. Are, these are real narrow, like a three-eighths of an inch, and it looks like a lipstick pickup right oh. by the saddle. It's chrome, but it's a double humbucker. And then underneath the... Uh, since... Taylor does not glue their necks on they, their bolt-on necks mm-hmm. um, they put another pickup on the very top for highest fret another double humbucker so you've got the the T5Z v, five stands for there's a five-way switch okay so switch number one you've got an actual sensor for uh, behind the saddle that's attached you know glued or stuck onto the underside of the the face of the guitar and that's that goes in conjunction with the neck pickup and that's your acoustic sound. So there's only really one acoustic sound, and I don't use it. I use it on the fifth um, position, which is the two humbuckers in unison, in parallel. Um, I believe that's what it is. And I get really good sound. So anyway, I go out of the guitar, and I go into uh, my harmonizer. Mm-hmm. 
my uh, TC Helicon, the blue one. Yeah. I don't know. if Is that what you have? It's the one I used. I, I've since sold it, but that was my harmonizer oh, really? when, I, when I used what it. What do you yeah. have now? I don't use a harmonizer anymore. So oh, I've, just, I've, I just didn't like the, yeah. I liked it. Um, I think I think my what I've been trying to go for just wasn't really calling for it anymore. Um, plus, I have a full band when I do that. Um, well, see, I don't have a band because yeah. the traveling I do, I can't put together a band because... It's at my age. I'm almost sixty. It's a lot of brain damage, and guys <laughs> my age don't want to work too hard, or they, you know. And I've forgotten a lot of the band songs, but yeah. Anyway, I, I just kind of found this niche. That's uh, a great Hank Harris, though. as you know, um, he's a local guy, but mm-hmm. Frank Hank's a good friend of mine. He came and heard me, and he says, "He said, dude, you sound like a band." Yeah. So what I've done, I, I go into the harmonizer, and I really struggled having a harmonizer because I thought it was gimmicky. Yeah, you know, like there's one guy up there and there's two boys. What the hell's going on? But the the TC Helicon guy on YouTube, he says, the average Joe doesn't know what you're doing. He just knows it sounds better or it sounds more full. Right. And I and as soon as I started playing, and he says, your tips will go up. So I thought, yeah, for $179, sign me up, right? So I went and got one. And the one thing I noticed that you have to, it keeps you honest. You you can't waver on a note. Uh Within reason, you can maybe, but you have. I mean, if you don't play the right chords or you don't sing the right note, it, it doesn't know where to go sometimes, and you mm-hmm. have to really work with it. Mm-hmm. You have to figure it out and and use it sparingly. See, it helped me stay on key. Yes, because I would hear and I would yes. adjust to it. But yeah, you do have to use it sparingly because if it's every song you're throwing it in there, it kind of yeah. get. That's where I I feel that's when it gets gimmicky. Yeah, I, I heard a guy one time and he kept it on through every song. I thought, man, he just really wants to get his money's worth. You know, just like, <laughs> yeah, I paid 100, 100, 200 bucks to saying I'm leaving it on, man. I'm, I'm gonna play this thing till it I'm dies. Gonna, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna play the crap out of it. Yeah, I I loved it. Like as far as harmonizers go for the price, yeah. I think it's the best on the market for the price. Yeah, and you got to know how loud you want your harmony. If it's too yeah. overpowering, it it doesn't sound right. So you kind of play with this. So I kind of know it pretty well. I've used it for about three years now. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm on my second one. I blew one up. <clears throat> um, sorry about that. I don't want to edit that out. Yeah, you're good. Um, so after after that, my guitar signal goes um, to my looper. And I've got the Ditto X4. Now, the only reason I have the X4 is not because I love the size of it, because it takes up a lot of room, it which does. I hate. yeah. I had one before, and I got rid of it. I got the Ditto, the $99 Ditto. Yeah. And I sold it. I gave it my son, and I, and I rebought this one, because it's got a button on it, which is closest to my foot. It's called a fader. It's a fade mode. So I start an introduction. I don't use it a ton, but I, I'll start an introduction, you know, record that, and then play some lead to it. I'm just dinking around, put a little harmonic on it. And then I hit the fade button, and within three seconds, it slowly fades away, and you just keep playing. You don't have to hit it Shut twice. Up. You don't have to hit it twice to stop it because it abruptly stops, and then you're screwed up in the timing. You don't have to think about it. I just tap it and play along with it, and then start singing, and it fades away. See, I've got the two, and I, okay, it doesn't. Uh, I don't. You only have to hit it once, which is nice. You don't have to double. But it's tap abrupt. It. But it is. It's as soon as you hit it, it, it stops. It cuts it off, and and that's not natural. I didn't realize the four did that. Yeah, and that's the only reason. I'm sure there are other reasons once I figure out how to loop better. Oh, man. But that's the only reason I like it, because I missed that fade thing. I thought, you know, like the introduction to Layla, record, and then I can play along to that, and then 
I'm getting tired of that and it's too long. I hit the ding ding, I hit the fade, ding ding. Then by the time I go dun dun, I'm playing without the looper, and I get into the song and it's 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 so user friendly with that fade button because you don't have to worry about it. It doesn't take your focus off trying to hit the button twice. Oh man, I hadn't even. That's brilliant. Yeah, but but on that button, there's a knob up here and you got different effects. You can you can hit it and it'll reverse the thing. I don't know why you need to reverse. Mine loops. has a reverse halftime or stop. Yeah, and well, I'm there's another sh- one on there. It says fade. Okay. Yeah. See that if they're if they if they ever listen to this and they want to do an update to the two because I like the size of the two, the four I, I would, would need to redo my entire right. soundboard. If, and I, sound if I had the two, I could put a distortion like a mini distortion pedal in it from Exotic or something like the mini yeah. pedals. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are going to the mini. I've got the uh, anyway. Let me continue what I yeah, got on my board, yeah. but. Yeah, if the two had the fade, I'd be all over it. Mm-hmm. And what's the two about? Two hundred. Oh, roughly one fifty, one sixty. I think maybe one. Yeah, this one was yeah. two forty nine or something. They're, they're they're up there, and I mean that's a lot. God, for, it might be a bit more. It's been a while since I bought it. Yeah, and this. Yeah. Anyway, so I go. I go from the. From the harmonizer into the ditto, the looper, and then back. Which goes into a spline splitter. I split my signal into two. Okay. And it's a Boss LS2, Line Splitter 2. Mm-hmm. So now I have an A and a B channel coming out. Sure. The B, I route to a 10-band EQ, and I just boost the bass EQ. Okay. So it's got a bass signal. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into an, an all, a polyoctave um, bass pedal, which polyoctave means you put it on the polyoctave setting. It's a Boss pedal. And then you dial in... The lowest frequency, which is the lowest E, and it makes it two octaves lower. And as you hit the, as you keep dialing it in, it goes from the E string, and it keeps that two octaves lower. Then it goes to your A string, and as you keep dialing it, it goes to the the third bass string. Mm-hmm. And if you stop there, you've, your three bottom strings are two octaves lower. Unreal. So now go from there into its own channel in the board. And I have four channels where you have one, but I have four. So mm-hmm. I've got complete control over the volume of the bass. And then on that bass, because I'm a finger picker. Right. So I, my thumb's doing all the bass notes. Mm-hmm. And then I turn the treble and the, the mids all the way to the left, turn them all down, and then I crank the bass, and it gives me a rounder sound. So I've got a bass guitar. Not a real good bass player, but he's there and he's reliable. And he's always with me on the gigs. He doesn't. Have, he doesn't chase. If you girls. ever get, need a hits a ride, you can stick him out and yeah, there and put yeah, him up right. Or cut it off if I don't like it. <laughs> so I've got that going for me now. The A channel from the splitter uh-huh. that goes to a compressor, and I have the compressor cranked. And what that does, it takes those uh, high E strings, mm-hmm. the the high E and those uh, metal strings that are not wound. It makes them super loud, just loud for my instrumental stuff. Uh huh. When I pluck a high E, it's like as loud as anything on the guitar. It's loud, and so that I go in from that into my from the compressor into the um, Ara, mm-hmm. and I just put a little blend on a guitar I picked. I don't know. Yeah. I just I just put a little blend. And I put a little compression on that as well, and it boosts it. But I've got I've got that. Uh, at nine o'clock, I've got the volume at nine, so I'm sending a relatively—it's a hot signal, but not—it's not coming hot from the preamp. Right. Then that goes 
The then it goes to the effects loop, which is my reverb uh-huh. boss pedal. It goes back into the Ara, then it comes out the XLR into its own channel. Okay. And then I wanted to add a bass drum. So Roland last year came out with four little pads. They're like a little wedge of cheese. I saw those. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at one yeah. for a while. I got they're expensive, two hundred fetching dollars. Right, they're way overpriced. They should be one hundred and twenty nine dollars, in my opinion. I think they're way overpriced, and they don't even come with a with a power source, which I don't what? care because I use the I use the one. What's that called? The Did you use the Volto. No, I don't have a power brick. I use the okay. little cord that you can daisy chain them. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not as clean, and yet I get some, depending where I'm playing, I get some 40-cycle hum a little bit. But then yeah. I got a hum buster for that. I'll stick that in the wall, and it, it takes most of it away. Mm-hmm. So I go from, um, where is I? Okay, the Ara setting. Then that goes into the amp, and then I've got that bass pedal, which I run into the PA. And it's got its own channel, and I turn the treble and the bass down, and then I crank the bass up, and it just has this. And these are sampled bass drums. Boom, boom. So when I hit a bass note with that bass drum, man, it sounds great. Man. Just boom, boom, boom. And and I can get the I can get the like when I'm playing. Um, grab, grab me a guitar really quick. Yeah. Yeah. I just show you a couple of things. Thank you. Let's give you this. Yeah. That's a great guitar, man. So when I'm playing, when I'm playing, uh, and keep in mind, I've got, I can get, I have its own, it's so light. What a great guitar. And Maple's heavy. So that's just coming out, dude. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. I hear that train coming, and I pause. It just gets the whole bar going. That's unreal. So um, that's a little trick I use, and then I've got the bass thumper going, and then the other channel is the uh, so I've got the A, the B channel, the thumper, and then uh, then I've got the the other channels, my vocal, which mm-hmm. comes out of the harmonizer. Okay, so I've got four channels. Um, I use a little Yamaha board. Um, I'm going to upgrade that. I'm looking at that Bose. It's got Bose came up with a new eight channel board. It's all digital, and you can save settings. Mm-hmm. So if you go into one of your gigs, you get it just the way you want it. Hit save, name it, name the gig. For the venue, like. Yeah, you've got 10, 10 settings. You can oh, that's brilliant. 10, uh, yeah. So I take but, pictures. This is where, oh, and then I label it. Dude, I was on a cruise ship, and and I came in, and I plugged in, and nothing. I thought, what the heck? I went over to board. Some Filipino that was cleaning that night brought everybody everything down to zero, all the sliders, all the all the knobs were all left. Oh no! He just wiped everything. Thought he was cleaning up and just setting everything, you know, the way it should be. And I panic because I usually it takes me five minutes to walk to the elevator on the fourth deck, go up to the eighth deck, and walk to the stage and set up my guitars. Probably six minutes. Yeah. So I took my six minutes. It's now one minute to the hour and I'm trying to do a little sound check and nothing's coming out I'm going you've got to be kidding me so my buddy on the cruise ship he goes who's experienced he goes did you not take a picture of the board I said cell phones don't work in the ship why would I pack my phone around I didn't even think yeah I didn't even think oh no so uh, I I thought he was helping I don't even know what I did that night but um, it was uh, it was stressful and I uh, I, I I've been writing books, Heath. I uh, I've written eight books. 
And I told my wife, I said, you know, I want to, the second half of my life, I want to play music. I just, I finally, I had a come to Jesus meeting with with myself. And I said, How long ago was this? About five years ago. Okay. I said, what is it that I want to do? What makes me happy? Well, first of all, I don't want to be cold in the winter. Mm -hmm. My age, I don't want to be cold. I want to be by the ocean. I want to be able to walk on the beach. Mm -hmm. That makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And it calms me down. And all those good vibes coming off the waves. I love it. Mm -hmm. I would literally get in my car from Utah and drive 11 hours to the beach and stay four or five hours and then come home. No kidding. Yeah. I just had to have that fixed about every six months. Jeez. And so um, I have a sister who lives in Santa Barbara, and sometimes I stay overnight. So I, I, I wrote that down. I want to be by the ocean in the wintertime. And in the summer, um, I started thinking about Deadwood because we started coming out here about five years ago. I've been at the Nugget four years, my mm-hmm. fourth year. And um, I thought, you know. And then I started realizing when I, when I started doing that, uh, two winters ago when we first went down to Florida, we we second day we rented that house a three bedroom two bath house all furnished you know kitchen stuff you know forks knives everything all you, all you needed was a few things you know toothpaste or whatever and and uh, you're setting up house right and um, I went out and started looking at gigs and found some gigs and I found out down there there's a lot of guys that are getting gigs that really aren't that talented they're playing the tracks and they don't even the guitar is kind of a prop but they can sing and they're out there making money. Mm-hmm. And I got one friend who's from Nashville, an awesome singer, plays a talking mini, plugs it into this little QSC speaker, and it just doesn't sound, it doesn't fill the room, but you can kind of hear him. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing is, I want to come in and set up and be playing in five minutes. I don't want to pack a lot of shit. Yeah. Um, he says, plus I have a band, and then that's where I get the big PA, and then that's, you know. And I started thinking about it. I thought, you know what? What if I get the best gear I can afford that the money can buy mm-hmm. without going overboard? I mean, there's there's a $1,000 mic. It's called Earthworks, mm-hmm. made in L.A., that I'd love to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, this mic is like over-the-top, crazy, amazing, doesn't feed back, super sensitive, and you just sound like God coming through it. Jeez. Yeah, it's amazing. You have to Google it. Especially with a voice like yours, I would imagine people would think that the oh, Almighty is speaking to them while they're yeah. shooting back their tequila. <laughs> I, I don't think they think hotty of me, no matter what mic I have. So, But thank you. Thank you for that, that attempted compliment. Um, so uh, so I, I, I took a notepad, and I've, I've owned businesses before. Like my former life, I was chasing the dollar, and it was kind of my... Um, Kind of my money years, you know, mm-hmm. like to, to chase it for money. I was on Shark Tank. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. Yeah, like five the show. years ago, yeah. I was on Shark Tank. Is the, is the uh, clip still online? Oh, yeah. I'm going to go find Trust you, man. Me, I got people that call me. <laughs> but I what were you a, creating? I invented a product that we had online for six years. It was called Life Caps. It was a survival pill. Okay. And I'd gone 17 days without eating, and then they put me on TV in Salt Lake, and the sales went through the roof, and all these women were buying it for a diet pill. Wow. But there's no stimulants. Uh-huh. 23 vitamins and minerals, which you need to, to survive. Uh-huh. And it had sugar in it. Well, your brain, the only, the only um, what I was told from my formulator, which I paid 50000 for to get the formula made. Mm-hmm. He was uh, one of the chief formulators for Nestle. I won't say his name because it doesn't matter. But um, he, uh, he told me, he said, the only food that the brain really recognizes is sugar. So when you burn fat and going around your daily 
life, uh, you're burning fat, which turns into glucose, which is sugar, which the brain needs to function. Mm-hmm. And when you're starving, you're out in the wilderness, you're lost or whatever, and you don't get food, your body holds on to body fat because it, it uses it burns it sparingly. So right. you're not getting the sugar to your brain, and you get what they call foggy brain. Yeah, you're not thinking right and this and that. So we took all that into account. We added some things like salt. You got to have sodium, or you're going to die. And I went 17 days, and I lost about 20 pounds, but. I, I felt so euphoric. It was it was really crazy. And I've I've known people to go twenty one days and just fast drinking water, and it's possible. The hard the far, hardest part is the first two two three days, because you you have this in your brain that it, in the morning lunch and and dinner you've got to eat. Yeah, it's like a necessity. Yeah, and it's and it's locked in there because ever since you were a baby that's what you did you know, right. three times a day. And what I found was we spent so much time worrying about what we're going to eat and where we're going to eat and cooking. And I didn't have any of that. You know, my family went out. I'd sit there and I'd drink water and everything. But anyway, I got on the show. And um, they, uh, I, I was in front of them for almost an hour. I went to, it was on a July. And I went there for LA. And they put me up in this nice hotel with some of the other people that were on the show for about three three days. And um, I felt I dominated. I had my pitch down really, really well. And I hadn't eaten in eight days. Mm-hmm. When I told them that, they didn't believe me. And they're not big on dietary supplements. Mm-hmm. They kept saying, well, the FDA hasn't approved this. I said, I'm a 100% compliant with the FDA regulations. Mm-hmm. A supplement is a vitamin, which is different than a drug. Mm-hmm. The drug has to go through scrutiny. Right. And the FDA has to check it out. And it takes a year and a half, two years, three years for the FDA to come to their conclusion whether it's safe. Yeah. Well, in a supplement, as long as you use GRAS products, which stands for generally recognized as safe, like vitamin A, vitamin B, out it goes, um, you're compliant with the FDA, mm-hmm. which I was. And we had sold a lot of product in six years online. No returns, repeat customers, and no complaints. Hmm. And debt-free. Wow. So it was, it was a great little company. Uh, of course, they're all investing in big pharma. They love drug companies because that's yeah. where the big money is. Yeah. They're not big fans of... Don't we all know that? <laughs> yeah, they're not big fans of supplements. I mean, the, if the government had their way, they'd make you go get a uh, doctor's checkup just to get a prescribed vitamin C to yourself. Right. Yeah, they want to regulate everything. Yeah. So, anyway, I didn't get a deal, which I didn't care, but it was the highest watched Shark Tank show in history. Wow. Season 5, episode 15. You can okay. look it up. And uh, I looked really kind of goofy. I had dyed my mustache the night before, and it, it was really dark. And I thought, oh, shit. Whatever. I don't care. So I went on there, and I did the thing. Well, that was in July. It didn't air until J- uh, January 24th. So I would borrowed money from family, friends, everything to get more inventory. Because uh-huh. I thought, if this goes in my favor, because you don't know how it's going to end up right. with the final editing. Well, Mark Cuban... Right out of the bat, he says, you're nothing but a snake oil salesman. This is just snake oil. Vitamins. And he came up with a new idea for a, for a survival, for a diet pill. I said, there's no stimulants in this. Diet pills have stimulants like caffeine or whatever to get your heart rate going. I said, if you're lost in the wilderness, the last thing you need is heart palpitations and have yeah. a heart attack. And he says, you're just so full of crap. I said, actually, Mark, I haven't eaten in eight days. I'm pretty sure there's no crap in me. Mm-hmm. That's so... <laughs> I mean, I didn't rehearse that. That right. just came out of my brain. And I hadn't eaten in eight days. Yeah. And Robert says, 
oh, I don't believe you've gone eight days without eating. And I said, Robert, put me in a casino of your choice in Las Vegas in a glass room. Let me go to the bathroom, supervised. I'll go 21 days on my product with water. And give me a guitar so I can entertain the troops or do something. Right. And I said, I'll go 21 days. I've gone 17 in the past. Not that big of a deal. This product does work. It does curb appetite. Mm. And it gives you enough to... It's not there to replace food. But I think food pills are the future. When you're running to an appointment, you don't want to stop for a burger and then be burping through your interview mm-hmm. or your appointment. Take a food pill. Yeah. It'll get you through the next two, three hours. I went into a, a company one time and my, my friend said... I was there talking about advertising for Life Caps. He said, Daryl, I haven't eaten since breakfast. He said, I am starving. I says... You don't understand when my blood sugar gets low, I turn into a mean man. Yeah. And I said, well, have a life cap. He goes, Daryl, that's like offering a whale a tic-tac. I'm not going to be satisfied with it. I said, why don't you just humor me? Take the life cap, drink some water, and let's let's sit down and talk. 25 minutes later, I said, how's your uh, hunger? And he goes, what? He says, holy crap. Wow. I can't believe this. I feel pretty good. Wow, man. So the product did work. And um, it was it was the how I came up with the idea. There was uh, seven or eight coal miners in a mine in Utah that was trapped. Oh yeah, and they were trying to get food down to them through a four inch pipe. I thought, why doesn't somebody invent a bottle of pills? And I thought, why not me? So I happened to know that I happened to know this guy, this formulator, and I called him up and I said, I got an idea. He said, What is it? And I said, I'm going to send you an NDA, non disclosure, non compete uh, agreement. Uh, and they said, when you, when you sign that, I'm going to send you the logo, because I'm a graphic artist. I know how to do mm-hmm. you know, Illustrator and stuff. I had the logo figured out. I was so pumped on this idea, and I thought, a, a food pill, just like the Jetsons, you know? Yeah. Remember the Jetsons? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I grew up young. on the Jetsons. Oh, man. you did? Wow. Yeah, Jetsons and Flintstones. The biggest, one of the biggest moments of my childhood was when they made that movie, The Flintstones Meet the Jetsons. Yeah. <laughs> I was so, blown away. So I, I actually started coming up with different flavors of my pills. And, they, and, and my food formula, they could put a little effervescent in it, like mm-hmm. like Eno, stuff to make you burp. And you would taste cinnamon rolls. Oh, no kidding. So it curbs your hunger, and you could taste bacon and eggs, cinnamon rolls. I had Italian. I had different pizzas. I had uh, turkey dinner. And all this, I was going to come out and they were going to be called meal caps. But um, anyway, after this show aired, um, Mark Cuban, the last thing he said to me, I, you know, everyone wasn't interested. Uh, uh, Mark Cuban goes, as I, I have my back turned, I couldn't hear him. But he says in the program, and I got 65 people in a hotel lounge that I rented, mm-hmm. a big screen, going to celebrate. You know, sales coming in and everything's automated online. You just, you just, my phone would ding every time there's a hundred sales and mm-hmm. just ding, 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 ding. And um, <laughs> I had enough for four million dollars retail product. Mm-hmm. That's how much money I borrowed. And we sold it, we sold plenty. But Mark Cuban's last comment was, I feel dirty being around that guy. Um, you no, know, he said, that guy's slippery. I feel dirty just being around him. What? And I'm there with all my friends. I got yeah. Dick Norris that was a newscaster with KSL, the main station town, yeah. for 38 years, just retired. He's a friend of mine. He was my spokesperson. We were doing local ads with Dick Norris's voice. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me. Oh, man. So here's the thing I learned. If you're ever on TV and you don't have the control over the final edit, don't do yeah. the show. And here I am here talking to you, and I don't have any control over the final edit. Well, I don't edit. 
I just post it all, man. Ah. Like, see, see, I learned that. Uh, so there's, a, I mean, you know, we're kind of in a tur- turbulent time culturally, you know. Right. And I, I will watch like a five minute snippet of someone on like a news channel like CNN, MSNBC or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, man, that guy's crazy. And then I'll hear like a three hour conversation with them on another podcast. They're totally and I'm different. Like, oh. Oh, that's not at all what right. how they presented them on that five minute clip. Oh yeah, YouTube does the same thing. So it's like you know that's so does Shark Tank, dude. When you have like when you actually sit down and have a conversation with someone, like you, even if you disagree with them, you get why they th- you get it. It's like ah, right. you know, I get it. You I know? I love the fact you're not going to edit. This. Nobody's crazy it, when you it, can actually talk with someone. Let it roll. Let it roll. <laughs> and, and you know, I haven't said anything that I'm going to be ashamed of right. or anything. Um, anyway, I one of the books I wrote, it's called uh, We All Die Alone. Mm-hmm. And it's not about death as much as it is as fearing life, that you haven't lived life. Sure. That should be our fear, that we're not doing everything we can to bring back those dreams of old and, mm-hmm. and, and live those dreams. Now, I also talk in the book that there's a certain time in your life where you have children, you have responsibilities, you have a mortgage, you have all these things that you have to do. Mm-hmm. You can't just take off in a van and... And go to Florida and leave everybody behind. You've you've got those responsibilities, right? But you have to bring those dreams back and plant them in your brain again and dream about it at night. Yeah, it is the nicest thing to go to bed and picture yourself in a little house in Florida in a lanai, screened off, getting up in the morning, having a cup of coffee, sitting down with a laptop, writing in the morning when your head is clear. Mm-hmm. Got a guitar in the corner. Your little dog's laying there in the rug, and you're in this chair with your feet up on the stool. And it's early morning, and the birds, maybe a crane is walking across your back lawn, and the sun's just coming up. And that happened to me, and I dreamt about it for years. When we rented that little house the next morning, I said to Jerry, and we didn't have a lot of stuff to unpack. Mm-hmm. It's not like we had boxes like you, when you move. Right. We had what we had in the car. We had a, a suitcase each of some clothes, mm-hmm. toothbrush, whatever. And, I'm, and I said, Jerry, come here. She goes, what? I said, I've dreamt this very moment. For years. Hmm. And it's happening. I love this. And I haven't even got gig one yet. And within two yeah. weeks, I was set up for the next eight months. That's, it's like you're on a little slice of heaven and you well, actually exactly. get to live it. <laughs> so my whole point is, don't lose those dreams. It's yeah. just a matter of the timing. Because there'll come a day when your girls are gone. Yeah. They're married. Mm-hmm. They're fine. And you can you can work here in the Black Hills. Uh, our goal, our goal, our goal is to get a little place here in the Black Hills, where mm-hmm. we can come to for four months or five months, and get a place in Florida when we figure out where we want to live. Yeah, because Florida is still very affordable. That's yeah, that's crazy. For one hundred and fifty grand, you can get a pretty nice place that's been refurnished or re. Wow. And a lot of these places come furnished because people die. The kids don't want to deal. The, you know the, the yeah they don't want to deal with selling furniture. They said turnkey buy as is. Yeah. Here's the price. Take it or leave it. Huh. And they keep bringing it down or going up or whatever until they get a buyer. And um, there's some things in Florida that you have to put up with, but it's usually in the hot summer months, like from May, June, July, August, September, October, it gets a little cooler. You're, you're dealing with 100 plus temperatures and rain. It's the rainy season. Mm-hmm. So when it rains and the sun comes out, it's 110. That's what you get. Humidity. You're soaking wet. And guess what else you get? You get bugs. Yeah. So it's not a good time to be there. But 
I'm going to be in the Black Hills. Yeah, that's I was saying. That's why that's why we see you up here during those times, right? And you're probably thinking, "What's that jerk doing, taking all my gigs?" <laughs> no, dude, it's going. I'm always happy when when you come back into town. Um, so was was music always one of the, a part of that dream of yours, like always. for most of your life, like since you were a kid, or yeah? Well, my mar- my parents joined the Mormon Church when I was about four or five. Okay. And I had, we had old Super 8 movies with no sound. Mm-hmm. You just, the projector going. Yeah. The, the two missionaries that baptized my parents into the Mormon church were, uh, they brought guitars. Back then they were allowed. And one of them had a hummingbird. Okay. Well, he actually bought it after his mission, but he had the cheap guitar in the mission. Sure. And uh, after he died, we were living in Utah. My dad decided to move everybody to Utah to be closer to Mormon influence because my grandfather was born in 1900 in Iowa. Okay. Because of that, in 1905, they moved to Canada. They were giving away free land. Mm-hmm. So they took the free land. They stayed there, had a dairy farm, and that's where I was raised. Okay. When I was 19, I went on a church mission down to South America. So I learned Spanish. I was there for two years in Paraguay. Mm-hmm. Uh, nine kids in our family. I'm second oldest of nine. I always tell people, like when I was doing cruise ships in Australia, I said, I'm second oldest of nine children. They would have had more, but my mother hated kids. And they would laugh. And and I always told, asked my mother, why didn't you have 10? Round it out to 10. Right. She goes, well, the 10th goes to the church. And I didn't know which one to give up. I'd, I'd always say, give him Kevin. No one, no one likes that kid. Just pick one. No one likes that kid. Give him Kevin. Close your eyes and point. Yeah, so I had a good time in a cruise ship. I had a lot of fun. Because I was older. And I didn't... I, I got bored. I just started doing banter and little stories about my life. And it, was, yeah. it turned into That's this gotta little be funny cool. show, you know? Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I had an interest in guitars. And when I was 12, my dad bought me a guitar. It was terrible. It had heavy strings, low bad action, uh, steel strings. And then when I was 14, my mother bought me a nylon string Suzuki, which I still have. I just found it. I didn't know. I, I forgot I had it. And I just found it like a month ago. And I, opened, I said, what's this case? I don't remember this case. I opened it up and I thought, oh, you got to be kidding me. Wow. My original Suzuki. Wow. She bought it used for 80 bucks. No strings on it. It's got cracks. It needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. But I played that thing for hours. Wow. But so I, she drove me 100 miles uh, to Calgary every weekend, even in blizzards. And I took classical guitar lessons. That's how I got started. And uh, I hated reading. I didn't know how to read. I couldn't learn. So I brought a cassette tape that I got at Radio Shack and I would tape the guy playing my song. Mm-hmm. I said, if you could just record the song that I'm supposed to learn for the next week and then I could hear if I'm making mistakes. He said, okay. So, um, <laughs> I'd listen to recording. I'd just memorize it. And I'd go back the next week, put the music in front of me and I'd play it. The problem was, after about three weeks of that, he noticed that I was putting in little innuendos that he would do. Like little uh, vibratos, oh and sure, things that he yeah. was doing that only that weren't on the paper, right? And so he looked at me and he goes, and he points to the paper and says, "Play this note." And I said, "I can't." He said, "Are you just going home and memorizing the tape?" I go, "Yes." I said, "Okay." Hot, yeah. <laughs> so he calls my mother and he goes, "You know, you're wasting your money. This kid's gonna learn guitar. He's got a great ear. If he can pick this up, this classical music, and play it, pretty much." All right, the mm-hmm. next the next week, he's going to be fine. So that was the only lessons I had. Wow, I learned more now on YouTube because you know we didn't have YouTube back then. But I never went to a guitar teacher. Everything was by ears. Listening to James Taylor, Gordon Lightfoot, yeah, all the guys that we all listened to, right? Well, and YouTube's got it's kind of like this downloading information right into your brain. Oh, like, you know, it's just you and see different it different levels. You, you yeah, can, you can pick a song, and you've got like 
you know, several options of mm-hmm. how to play that song in different keys. Yeah, it's, it's completely all, changed the way we learn. It's all there. Yeah. And people say, uh, could you recommend a good teacher? Do you teach lessons? I say, you know what? Everything I learn is on YouTube. Yeah. Tommy Manuel changed my life. There's a friend of mine. Uh, he's in a, a group called the California Guitar Trio. Mm-hmm. I think they've been through South Dakota. They've been out for 20 years now. And these are guys that do Bohemian Rhapsody and three parts, and they all have their own parts, and they're freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. And they all met at uh, some music school in London, mm-hmm. so they're all very classically trained. But they play steel string guitars, and uh, California Guitar Trio. Look them up; you'll be blown away. Well, Paul, um, or no, I think I think it's Paul. Paul Richards, uh, one of the guitar players, he's from Utah, and he said, "Daryl, have you ever heard of Tommy Manuel?" And I go, "No." That's kind of a weird name. He says, from Australia. I mean, yeah, whatever. And he goes, uh, look him up on YouTube and type in Tommy Manuel Beatles medley. That's where I learned that day tripper. Da, 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 da. Okay. Let me, let me see that. I'll yeah. just play it real quick. Yeah. And, and Tommy says on stage, it took me a year to learn this. He says, there you are at the piano playing this with your right hand. Here comes your left. that out <laughs> and when get I the play, melody in there and everything yeah, man when Jeez. I play that I say the same thing Tommy does except it's loud it's coming through my PA and it's, yeah. it's crystal clear and it's thumping and I got my bass drum yeah. going and people freak out they think I'm playing to a track or something. Yeah. But it's it's that rubbing your head and patting your chest at the same time type thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm a guy. I can't multitask. I mean, the, the old joke is I used to chew gum for birth control because I couldn't do two things at once, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that one, too. Yeah, there you go. There you go. You have at it. Oh, jeez. And so, uh, yeah, and it took me a long time. But, but once in a while, I would get it. And I'd go, oh, what did I just do? Yeah. And I just kept at it, kept at it. Every time I pick my guitar, I try to play that. And now I do several of his songs. I've actually recorded some of Tommy's songs. They're on my website at stevenett.com. It's like Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N-E-T-T.com. And you look up uh, the CD, it's called uh, Here Comes the Sun. Mm-hmm. So I've got some covers on there. And some of the songs are, I think two or three of the songs are Tommy's. They're kind of my arrangement of his arrangement, so it's kind of cool. So what was it like when you first started... Like when you first got your thumb to be doing something completely different from the rest of your fingers, it was like did you just like did your head explode? It did, it did, (laughs) because it opens up a whole new way. Because you know you you start playing when you're fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, whatever, and you and you kind of get to a plateau where you're you're kind of doing the same songs like Doobie Brothers, right? Yeah, and you know Smoke in the Water and all the stuff that I grew up with in the seventies. And you and you got your little band going and. You're playing at the Legion, or you're playing for a wedding, and you kind of reach a plateau, and then Tommy comes along, and I YouTube the guy, and I call my son. I said, he said, Dad, Tommy's going to be in Salt Lake. He's doing a clinic. And he says, I'm a student at U of U, University of Utah, so I can get discount tickets. So we got two $50 tickets. We went to the clinic, and uh, at the very end, there's a question and answer thing. I asked Tommy, you know, what gauge strings do you use? How do you record? What mics do you use? I mean, I was, I I went out to the music store and I said, "You don't have any Tommy Manuel in the store." He goes, "Who's that?" I said, "He's a guitarist." 
could I order, do you have a book or something where I could order Tommy Emanuel CDs? Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah. I says, oh, yeah, he's got like 24 of them. I said, I'll buy them all. I bought them all. I, I spent two or 300 bucks. I'll take the catalog, please. <laughs> yeah. I bought everything he had and yeah. I took it home and I devoured it. And I don't play every song like I probably I should learn more. But um, I've got so many songs in my head now. I, I, you know, I try to get through them in a set, which I can't. And mm-hmm. to get in the cruise ship, you got you got to know three hundred to five hundred songs. Right. That's when I got an iPod and I put all my lyrics on that. And people don't care, you know, as long as you sing the notes, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm. But anyway, Tommy opened up my whole world, and I started doing that independent thumb. And he said something that made a difference he goes the best song to learn the independent thumb on is freight train let me see your guitar yeah he said freight train is the go-to song to start with then you learn how to mute it yeah then he uses a pick, which I don't use. I have fingernails, but yeah, those are some nice these are, fingernails. These are fake fingernails. Oh, okay, okay. I, I tear them off, but every week and a week and a half, they gotcha. start peeling. I just tear them off. I slap new ones on ten minutes. I file them done. Sure. And it's easy. To work. I used to have great nails, but now my nails underneath are shot. They're 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 not good, mm-hmm. and I don't care. These work fine. That I don't have any pain. Nice. And I can. The trick is to get that bass going. Chet Atkins, uh, Windy and Worm. Oh, man. I'm just going to sit here for the rest of the night and just watch you do that. So the whole thing is Every time you pick up your guitar, just... And then hit a string. Let it ring. And you're not going to be perfect with that. Right. But as long as you keep that... Jeez. You have to, you have to wait for it. Yeah. Like I missed that one. It's hard to play this guitar. It's got heavier strings than what I'm used to. It looks hard, and for the first time seeing it or whatever, 
don't get discouraged, man. You can you can do that. It's not that hard. Once you figure it out, and you you hear the bells ringing in your head, and the light mm-hmm. goes on, and you're going, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, you can do any song in that style. It's probably like once it clicks, it never goes like it clicks. It's like yeah. riding a bike, right? Yep. Like, he's like, you got and, it, and there and you it go. And it gets fun again because you're learning new stuff. Yeah. There's an old saying, when you're ripe, you rot. When you're green, you grow. Yeah. So when you're learning new stuff, all of a sudden those gigs take on a whole new meaning. You've got new stuff, new material. And it could be any song. And I, my whole advice is, if you're going to play out, you know, doing gigs, play what you like. Mm-hmm. Or if you have, if people keep requesting a certain song, go learn it. You know, and put it in your own style. Mm-hmm. People are there to hear. And you're a solo guy. You can't do it just like the band. Right. You can't do an eagle song with all those harmonies and everything. But you can get a harmonizer, maybe have a third above. And you don't want to go too crazy. I, there's right. a couple of songs that do Gatlin Brothers. And I have a third above and a third below. And it sounds like the Gatlin Brothers. Uh, as close as I can get it anyway. Mm-hmm. But the two songs out of the, everything I play is... is all those harmonies and then I do Crimes of Sills and Ashford it's a third and a fifth above mm-hmm. but um, I don't I don't do it very much I usually just have a third above and it's just tucked in there where you can barely hear it it just makes it sound fuller yeah and I use it sparingly so it's it works but if you're going to go out and play um, put put things in your own the way you want it the way you hear it and the way you want to play it and the way you can play it and as years go by, you'll start playing it better because you start improving. Right. Start adding in the correct chord here, the correct chord there, or whatever. And um, I always tell people, when you if you're if you're embarrassed to play in front of people, just get into your own world. Don't feel you have to talk or you know put on a concert. And the first time I played in the bar, I think I was seventeen, and this guy he said he said I'll sneak you in the back. You're not eighteen. I was in Canada. He said you can play during one of my breaks. I said okay. So I get up there, and I said, hello, everybody. And I actually had an Ovation 16 that you can plug in. Um, I, I really didn't know. I never played solo in front of people. And I said, hello, everybody. My name's Daryl. And I kind of rehearsed what I was going to say. No one noticed me. No one looked up. No one cared. Yeah. And I was really upset. Like, yeah. what am I doing here? This people isn't don't what I care. Thought would happen. <laughs> people don't care about me. You know, I've got... I've got some talent, and they're treating me like I'm nobody. And then I realized, you are background music. Just get into it. Close your eyes and play and sing and enjoy the night. And here's another thing. I, I, I When I used to play in Atlanta, it's going a long time, sorry. I'll finish up with this. But when I was in Atlanta playing full-time, I had my two little boys with me. They were like five and six years old, mm-hmm. maybe four and five. And I was making a living playing music. I was making about 40000 a year, and it was, it was cash money and and I was playing at all the El Toro Mexican restaurants. The guy had 16 of them, so he just bounced me every night to a new one. And I had a little Don PA. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a Don PA. And Jeez. I did. I, yeah, it takes you back. And I and I was perfect for a little restaurant. He just took me in a corner. Mm-hmm. And it was just the right volume. The, the speakers went up and then coned out. And it, it, didn't, it wasn't... People could talk. They could converse. It wasn't like a wall of sound, like from a big 15-inch speaker. Mm-hmm. You know? So I started playing these. Um, I started getting really successful at playing at restaurants. So I, wrote, I, I recorded a cassette tape. I wrote it all freehand and or uh, typed it out in my computer. And then I recorded it. It's called Playing for a Living. And it was on a cassette tape. And I charged fifteen dollars for it. And I sold them in Canada. I put I uh, put the ad in uh, all the acoustic guitar magazines. Playing for a Living. How to get gigs. What what songs tip the best. What gear to use. 
and all these little hot points, you know. So I'm always yeah. kind of a marketing guy, kind of yeah. an idea guy. And I sold a bunch of those. And then, uh, I don't know, I, I talked to people how to get the gig, mm-hmm. you know. But I talked about in, a, in an intimate setting like a restaurant, if you got your head down and you're playing, your eyes are closed, then you look up, there's to be about four or five tables that are looking at you. And they all of a sudden turn away. It's too intimate. Mm-hmm. So I decided I'm Don't not going to look, gonna me look in up. The eyes. Yeah, I'm not going to look up. I just kept my head down. Tips went up. When I didn't look at the audience, my tips went up. No and kidding. And a little kid came up. I said, "Hey, what's your name? Hey, I want to give you a present." And I had you know tapes, ten dollars, little sign there. I said, "This is for you. What's your name, Johnny? All oh, right, Johnny. Okay, this is for you. Hope you enjoy it." And listen to my songs in the car. Mm-hmm. Well. Every single time, he'd go back to the parents and says, did you steal that? I can hear him talking. <laughs> did you steal that? He goes, no, he gave it to me. <laughs> they come out and they give me a 10 or they give me a 20. Every that. single time. That's the name of your next album. Daryl, teaching kids how to steal since <laughs> since 19... Making, how murders. to make money and kids who steal <laughs> your tapes. <laughs> oh, man. So, was that... Um, so at what point did you decide you wanted to write your own stuff? You know... Because, I, I mean, I first met you a few years back at a songwriters showcase we did up right, here. Right, 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 right. Um, and I'd heard about you, I, don't, I think, I vaguely remember, we connected online and... Yeah, somehow. We got there and stuff, and you started playing, and I went, holy crap. Like, where's oh, this Oh, you guy? liked it? Oh, I loved it. Like, <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever... Everyone's, everyone's probably told you this, but you've got that... Like, my first thought was Toy Story. Toy Story. You ever heard the? Um, you got a friend in you. You got a friend in me you? type sound. You know, and wow. not not that song style, but the mm-hmm. voice was like it was very Newman, very mellow, very chill, very you could listen to it for hours yeah. and just sit back and enjoy it. Well, you know? as as luck would have it, I'm I'm actually went to a studio yesterday. It's called Blackhawk, I think, or Blackbird or something. It's in um, Rapid. Have you heard of these guys? Chris, I don't know his last name, but anyway, it's a, it's full blown little studio. Where's this? It's at? not super fancy. It's do you know where Haggerty's is? Yeah. You keep going east past Haggerty's up the hill there. Okay. And you turn left on Main Street and it's in there a mile and a half. It's in a guy's garage and it's nice. The, huh. the house is not assuming you, you wouldn't think there's a studio there. Mm-hmm. You drive up this little driveway and it's kind of a long ways off the road. And uh, full-blown studio, Pro Tools. I'll have to check him out. Yeah, I'll get you his number and everything, but uh, great guy. So after rally the 21st, I booked the studio for the whole day. He mm-hmm. cut me a day rate. And I'm just going to do. I got a lot of people that come up and said, "I want, I want a representation, basically what they're saying of what you do here. I want to, I want a CD of the exact songs you're playing here. I want to take that memory home with me." Oh, well, sure. Well, I had CDs, and this is the first year I haven't brought CDs. I just said, "Take my card. You can listen to everything online on my website." And the way I've got it set up is not 30 seconds a song. You can, you click the first song, it plays the whole album. Mm-hmm. So you can be at work. And, and the smart thing about that is when people go to work and want to hear the whole thing and they're working, it shows that people are spending more time on your website. Yeah. The longer people spend on your website, the better your ratings get. That's very true. Like when you go to eBay, I think the average time on eBay is seven minutes. Because mm-hmm. people are looking in their punts around and, and that raises eBay's ratings. Now they have enough money where they can you know, have the best ratings they want anyway. But Right. So that kind of helped the, my ratings... And you can get Google Analytics, which I don't really worry about anymore. But 
the problem I had with the uh, uh, CD of of, of um, personal original songs is people always pick the CD up and they read the back. They don't recognize anything. They put it back. Mm-hmm. And and out of the ten people that do that, I might sell two. Yeah. So I've got to do. And you can go on to Fox Agency. You look for the song, and I think the minimum charge is uh, 200 CDs. And you get 200 CDs done, and you pay 9.7 cents a song, 10 cents a song. Mm-hmm. So if you have 10 songs that are covers, you, you, you owe them a dollar. Mm-hmm. So $200 for 200 CDs, and you're covered. No one's going to come at you and sue you or whatever because you got permission to use those songs. Oh, okay. So that's... That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Put cover songs in there. Willie Nelson made his whole career on cover songs. Yeah, I he mean, you look write. back then, like they all, they all recorded everything they could. Like let's yeah. just crank out whatever we yeah. can, you know, whatever is popular. But see, for me, with like someone with Willie Nelson, like my my favorites are his own. Right. Like, I Have just, you heard his new album? Um, the one Last Man Standing. Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, yeah but that's so a good. great album. It's so good. Bad he just put out a great one. No breath at all. He just put out a great one. Uh, John Prine just put out a brand new all original album. Oh, I got a Tree of Forgiveness. I don't do John Prine. I get I get requests for that all the time. Like, You'd be perfect, John Prine. <laughs> enough of the John Prine. I just never got into John Prine because I haven't really dug into him. Sure. And I, I, you know, well, it's uh, quite a rabbit Kip hole. Attaway, he, yeah, it's quite a rabbit hole. I know he's got yeah. more songs than I can yeah. learn. But yeah. Kip Attaway sings "Let's Talk Dirty in Hawaiian." Yeah, great song. Yeah, funny. And I need more of that stuff. You know, I've got uh, the Mermaid song. Have you ever heard that? Yep, by Bobby Bear. I mm-hmm. do that, and I do another one called "Everybody Put Your Clothes Back On." It's a song that I wrote. The words are: When I was just a kid, I was nervous to perform. My knees started shaking before the song was born. So my daddy whispered in my ear, and this is what he said. Son, imagine everyone naked. Wrong thing to tell a kid. <laughs> so I sat there on the stage and stared at everyone. Old Mrs. Miller on the front row. Ew. Her teenage daughter, her pudgy son. I don't think my daddy knew, but he scarred me for life. No, um, I just started doing what my daddy said to do. But impure thoughts filled my head, and then my face turned blue. You see, it was our church annual picnic, oh, and no. I'm up there trying to sing. It's a little unnerving looking down at the preacher's dingling. Oh. I don't think my daddy knew it, but he scarred me for life. You see, the preacher is one thing, then I saw his pretty wife. She stared up at me, didn't have a clue that she was sitting there butt naked in her fancy hairdo. <laughs> then something crazy happened. It was the strangest sort of thing. Words started pouring out of my mouth, then I began to sing. Hey, everybody, put your clothes back on. I'm up here singing, trying to get through this song. <laughs> Now, picture everyone naked. I know that's sick and wrong. So, everybody do me a favor. Help me out. Put your clothes back on. Oh, my God. So, that's a song I wrote in the cruise ship. That's of, clever, man. Out that's of good. boredom. Out of boredom. Yeah, I wrote a lot of funny songs on the ship. But, um, yeah, I, I don't. For me, um, here's, here's my take on creativity. Creativity is the one word and the one thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. If you don't have anything in your life that you're being creative with, you get in a rut, and the definition of a rut is a is a grave with the ends kicked out. Yeah, you get in a rut, and nothing's fun, whether it be in your marriage, what you're going to do this weekend, the other uh, with your kids. Another another thing I want on my tombstone is ninety eight percent of life is anticipation. You have to be anticipating something cool, something fun, a vacation, a new car, uh, building out your house, and keep that carrot there because that's where the creative process starts. Yeah, is that anticipation. 
And then when you get that creative juice, which doesn't come all the time, but when it hits you as a songwriter, sit down and start writing because it do, it will leave you for a year, yeah. six months. Oh, it can leave you for a long, yeah. long time. But when it hits, and it could be a movie that inspires you or whatever, you come back and go, honey, I need an hour. Just leave me alone for an hour. Let yeah. me just do my thing. So I just went to Colorado this last weekend with my buddy Kenny. Here you go. Um, and uh, we went... We went and played a show down there. And nice. We drove down six hour drive, seven for him. Jeez. And then we got done. We played for five hours. Mm. It was a. It was a. They called it Frank a Palooza. So it's a guy named Frank. Just shows a party every year. Nice. And, and uh, we had a blast. It was a. It was a great. Time. <coughs> five hours. Wow. Yeah. And then we drove. You got that much material? Much material? Oh yeah, I've, I've got about seven, eight hundred songs. Wow, like that. that's then, awesome, man! And then my own stuff that I right. play every now and then too. You know, that's awesome. But we play and we drive. Kenny drives us through the night. He drove the whole way actually, because he's kind of a badass. But, right. <laughs> um, I'm passed out and he's he's driving. We get I get home and take a couple hour nap. I wake up and like in my head I'm like I have a, I have a song. Right, and so I crank it out, and I have a few others like ideas of songs just from that trip. So, so do you for get the me, phone out and just record yourself, or do you write it? So down? I get my phone out, and then I throw in some lyrics, and I'll, I'll get my guitar out, and I'll try to pick around with it. When I'm at work, and I think yeah. of lyrics, I'll put the lyrics down, and then I'll right. come home, and like I think I think this is how it goes. And once I get the first line, I'm like, okay, I can figure it out from there as far as guitar wise goes. But but for me, like if if right after an experience. If I get an idea for a song, I've got to do it, right? or it's gone forever. It's just gone. Well, here's what Glenn Fry said. I just saw an interview with him a couple of days ago. Obviously, he died and he's gone, but he said, I can't just sit down and write a song. I have to be in the songwriting mode, and it might be, I, I set a goal for the next six months, I'm going to write songs. Mm-hmm. And you have to get prepared. You have to have your digital recorder, maybe, excuse me, burping in the mic here. You might, you might have a digital recorder in your car. At your work, another one for your pocket. Get prepared mm-hmm. and start thinking about everything like a comedian does. Yeah. Look at road signs and go, well, that's a weird name. What does that mean? Where did that come from? You know? Well, someone said something cool at work. My brother said a line that I'll never forget. This lady says, as the work, she got mad at him. She goes, she says, you can kiss my ass. You know what he said? She says, hey, I don't have that kind of time. What a great line. Yeah. I don't know if I'll use it in a song, but what a great comeback. Yeah. In other words, your ass is so big, it'd take me forever to kiss it, so, you know, back away, lady. But it's a nice, quick way of saying oh, it. Oh, yeah, one-liner. That's clever. That's I clever. don't have that kind of time. Yeah. And it was, it was it, you could have a song that's called, I don't have that kind of time. Yeah. And, and you think about that line, I don't have that kind of time. It could be, you're dying. And someone says, you know, what is something you really like to do? He says, well, I'd like to be in an air hot air balloon, but I really don't have that kind of time. Yeah. Because time's running out. Yeah. It could, you could take that line and start thinking outside the box, what is time? I had a friend that wrote a song. He says, it's all about wedding rings. So I have so, many, so much time on my hands. Hmm. You think about that. Whole wow. new meaning about time. Yeah. Ooh, that's... Ooh. I wrote a song called like Daddy's that. Watch and Me. At the very end, it says, when I'm gone, I'll leave behind my, this living legacy, like a pocket watch. I'll hand it down to my son so he can say, I know my daddy's watching me. I've heard you play that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Little twist on it, and I don't know if it's the most clever song in the world, but it came to me. I wrote it, put it down. Yeah. And I really believe also, even if you just record raw, 
you've got to get the song done and record it. Yep. Put it in a folder, and if not, you will lose it forever. Yep, I'll do that. I'll play I'll play the lyrics, and I'll play it out, and I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll remember that. Next day, no. like, oh, wait, what did I do? And <laughs> it's gone. I heard a comedian like, say once. Got it, Heath. This comedian said, he says, at night when I wake up, I sometimes have a really funny joke, and I have to get up, go across the room, get my pen so I can write it down. If I'm too tired, I have to convince myself it's not funny. Like, yeah. I have to convince myself it's not a clever idea because I'm too lazy to get the pencil. So I've had that happen to me a few times in a dream. I remember this one dream. I was in a vehicle driving, and on the radio was this song playing. And the song didn't exist, but I, I could hear it clear as day, the ah! lyrics, the words. And I woke up, and I went, oh, and I wrote it out and yeah. finished it. And I have it now, but it's because I heard it in my dream. But if you hadn't taken... I always tell people, the most selfish people are in the graveyard. Some of the best movies that were never written, yeah. some of the best books that were never written, some of the best songs that were never written, people took them to their grave. Yep. And that is a selfish act. And that's what my book, the one of the books I wrote, uh, We All Die Alone, it mm-hmm. talks about that. Yeah. Live life and figure out what it is, why you're here, and experiment. You know... Well, meet, share what you got. Share what you got. And you might not be the best, but you're not going to be the worst. Yeah. Look at Bob Dylan. That guy can't sing. Yeah. And do you think he would ever make it on The Voice? Never. No way. But man, the songs he wrote, Yep. it's part of America, and they're never going to go away. Yep. They're forever. Never going to go away. It's, well, that's, it's, it's, it's in the foundation of America. It's, it's kind of a way of becoming immortal. Right. Like, you're, you're gone, but you are here forever. You know what's really you know? weird? I've always said, you know, my, my kids aren't big fans of what I do. They don't compliment me. They don't they don't listen to my CDs. Just because they don't they don't like it, or they just don't well, think you should they're, do it. Or? They're uh, they've been taught by someone after the divorce that dad's trying to live a dream and be a kid again, and and playing guitar and singing to people in a bar is a nowhere thing, and he's never going to be famous. Hmm. And it's a, it's a, it's frivolous, it's irresponsible, and he left you kids. Mm. Well, no, I didn't leave the kids. I left the area because I didn't really feel welcome in Utah, mm-hmm. and I, I had to go where the tourism is. Yeah, there's not a lot of tourism in Utah. There's not a lot of people. You know, I go to, I go during the tourist season in Florida. Mm-hmm. Lots of tips, but there comes a time when it's too hot. People leave. People don't go down to Utah to like visit all the not, Mormon not, churches and stuff. Or? Yeah, but 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 it's not like it's not like sitting on a patio with tiki torches. Yeah, and on the point. water and people are. I there. mean, if I had the choice between Hawaii or Utah, I'd choose Hawaii. So well, go to Florida. It's a lot. Well, it's, it's by car. It's probably longer than flying to Hawaii. But at least you can take your gear with you. Yeah, it's twenty one hundred miles to where I live in Florida, but um. They're, they're not really big fans, but I've always said the day comes when I die. You know, my daughter probably couldn't tell you one book I've read. I've written. Mm-hmm. Doesn't know the titles. Doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Probably never went to my website. Probably has never listened to any of my CDs. Mm-hmm. She has been taught that that's bad, that's bad, and that's the cause of your dad being wacky and not living here down the road from everybody. You know, in the Mormon culture, the church that I resigned from when I was 45 years ago, wrote, actually wrote a letter and resigned. And my oldest son, he did the same thing as well. But 
you know, I are very much alike, but um, it got to the point where I didn't, what I was being taught didn't pass the smell test. And I sure. just realized I can't do this anymore. So I resigned. Well, the church is big on, the Mormon church is big on family, 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 family. The average Mormon in Utah lives 35 miles from where they were born. Jeez. They stay around. And if they go out of state to, to pursue a job or a career after they graduate, their wife will say, no, we got to go back to Utah. They will end back up in Utah. Well, That's the more you Adobe, get out there, the more you learn, and yeah. you realize, wait a second. Yeah, exactly. I mean, knowledge is power, yeah. man. And you go to Utah, and you live in Utah, within three or four days, you're going to be watching news and a big story about the Mormon Church on there. Here, no one cares. You're never going to hear yeah. one thing yeah. about that organization. Because no one cares. Yeah. But there, it's like it's like entrenched in that huh. that uh, culture. It's a culture. Sure. And it involves family. And when you leave the culture, you basically end up with shunning. Yeah, no, I... And they, they push that. you out of the nest. I know that all too well. So I don't know if you know this about me, but I went to school to be a pastor. Really? Not in the Mormon church, but yeah. Like, that's what my th- my degree is in, theology and... And did you do any... Uh, I was a pastor for three years. Wow. Head pastor of a Did you get any I, marriage counseling uh, classes? Or um, so we got not... I mean, we talked about it and we like went Psychology through, or anything like that? Or? No, there's no psychology. There was sociology. Okay. Um, uh, we didn't do any type of... Um, like, you had to take an intro to psych class. Yeah. Which was just... A very broad, like bird's so what if, eye view. What if people of everything. came to you with trouble with their marriage? Could you? Well, could you help here's them? The, here's the funny thing. I was 21 years old. Okay. So, uh, so I'm 21 years old, and I'm sitting at a church. People come in, and, we, and they want marriage counseling, or they want to do this and that. And it's like you're single, 21, and you're I don't not, know you anything. Don't know anything, yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm, so you're, you're giving them, you know, like the simple book, an, book answers, textbook answers, right. you know, but none of it's actually legitimate. Hey, this is actually going to help you. You know what I mean? Because I'm 21 years old. Yeah. I don't even know what I'm doing yet. You know what you know I what see I mean? you doing in your latter years? Playing on a cruise ship, like you. I hope. Someday, oh, you but. can do that. But, <laughs> but uh, I'll talk to you about that later. About what you can expect. But I see you with your wife. You've written a book about couples or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're going around to different denominations. And you're speaking, and you're playing music. You're the second person to tell me that this year. And you're, you're bumming around in an RV. Yeah. And it's something you might not do forever, but I, I could see you really doing that and having a message about all these interviews you're doing. See, my problem back then was... I Credibility. Cared. It, I, well, it was that, but I cared more... I cared more about the people than the doctrine. Right. Um, and in my mind, if the doctrine didn't... If we were teaching something and standing firm on something that did not, that was hurting people, right? Then there's a problem with that, not the person, right? Right. You know, and it just it it couldn't sit with me. And I, I could have been very successful and be no mega churches stuff like that. I, I was well on my way to. Well, it. the thing is, but I just um, I would not have been happy. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't. Did have Did you have a problem night. with the tithing? Um, asking. I, ha- I have a problem with asking for it. Yeah. I think that. Uh, like if a group of people get together and decide, hey, we want to contribute to a cause, yeah, I have no problem with that. Right. But to, but to make it mandatory, like I grew up in churches that they would send you a bill if you didn't tithe. 
What? That you would get a bill in the mail, man. So wow. like, so there's a whole problem for me with that. But like, hey, if a group of people say, hey, you know, we, yeah, you know, we need to get a new a new roof, or hey, this carpet right. is. 50 years old or right. something like that you know yeah that I, makes sense yeah. i get that because a group of people are deciding it but to demand the last thing they it, want to see is that the pastor's living in a better home than they are see and that was the other thing They're driving I, a better car than they are yeah i have a hard time because i i always had a separate like if you're job. a pastor and you live in this house yeah people would donate like crazy because they drive by and they go that guy's a humble he's a good guy yeah he's not trying to be an ostentatious he's not trying to rape and pillage the village right see i always had this idea that a pastor should have another full-time job. Maybe there's a stipend coming from the church. Or at least a part-time They pay his mortgage. Part-time, maybe, where they pay his mortgage or something like that. But then you're you're supporting your family, and you're also not stuck inside a church building all week. You're actually out there with people interacting and living and having a real, you know, a real, quote-unquote, real life, you know. Well, the Mormon church has non-paid ministry. I mean, all the bishops have their own job there, you know. Um, so that is that is true in that church. So they have they have their work. I think it helps you keep a better and perspective. The church does not of, give them any money. Yeah. Now, if you get up into a, being an apostle or something, the church gives them a stipend, a living allowance, whatever. Right, right, right. But um, but yeah, I know I did that for that was that's crazy. I was hell bent on being a pastor, well, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love. There's a song in there, buddy. Mm-hmm. Hell bent. Hell bent. But no, and then um, you get there, and everybody's a little off. They're a little bent. A little bit, man. But I've, I mean, I've always had a heart for people, and that'll never change. Like, I I care about people, I like people, and I want to see everybody reach reach their best. Yeah. And uh, for me, it did not matter if they believed the exact same things I did or not. Like, right. I just wanted to help people. And that, yeah. you know, become... Plus, when you, when you go through stuff I went through, like, they don't really like that. So you just kind of... What did you go through? Well, like, the divorce and stuff like that. Oh, and, yeah. It's that's not, not setting a good example. Right, that's that's a problem. It's and like a seminary teacher that teaches the young kids at school every morning in the Mormon church. Uh, in Utah, they have buildings beside the high school, which is a seminary building. Mm-hmm. And they do early morning classes. And um, my friend was a seminary teacher, and he went through divorce, and he was asked to step down. So have you, do, you, do you read the Bible at all? I, a little? I, you, know, you know, the second half of my life, I just decided... I don't want to go to church anymore because yeah. I never miss a Sunday. I was there. And Mormons, they have three-hour meetings, and then you go yeah. back, and then you have leadership meetings if you mm-hmm. have a calling, or a, a calling would be a, a job like I taught right. senior gospel classes you know, for the adults. And um, I really liked that because it made me uh, advance my library. I bought a lot of books. I did a lot of studying, and mm-hmm. it really helped me grow in the doctrine and the knowledge of what I was teaching. And but um, as far as uh, what, what was your question? What, do you still like? Do you read the Bible oh, at all or anything? Like that? Now I've I've kind of I've kind of taken a sabbatical. Yeah, where you know I I went through so much pressure of the divorce and everything, and and going to church as well, and the tithing, and sitting there in church with my kids without my wife, hearing songs like "Families Can Be Together Forever" because mm-hmm. that's what Mormons believe is that when you go to the temple, you get sealed. Temples are different than churches. Temples mm-hmm. have certain ceremonies like for weddings and sealings and you become sealed to your children and which means in the hereafter you are sealed those kids are sealed to you and you will right. be with them forever right which doesn't really pan out great because what if those kids get their kids and they get their kids and they get are you all, all live together i mean i don't right. know 
I, I'm sure that's not going to happen. But. That goes back to that it didn't smell right. Yeah, thing. that yeah. red flag, like it didn't pass a smell test. But um, well, the reason I asked they was because... I really believe in that, but I've, I've kind of let it go. Yeah, yeah. So um, I always loved... Because, uh, you know, I, I went... I mean, I studied it hard. I dove in... I'm sure. You know, feet in the air, head first, right in the water. Yeah. But one of the one of my favorite lines with all that was Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 8 uh, God no, Jeremiah get, was a bullfrog the, oh, right no, oh sorry yeah <laughs> that's, that's after that but in that in that verse and, it, and, it talks Trump, about Trump said in two in two Corinthians oh um wasn't that funny when he said oh that? it was that's right he quoted he was, a verse out of second Corinthians he said he says I read the Bible in fact in two Corinthians and then Lion <laughs> Ted he says two Corinthians walked into a bar <laughs> he, in other words Trump doesn't have a clue come on yeah. But that was my favorite verse when people were... What was it? Tell, say it again. Uh, Jeremiah 3.8, um, God actually gets divorced. What? Oh, yeah. He, he divorces Israel because they're... Oh, okay. You know, it's like that. So, like, there's this whole... He cut them loose. It's kind of funny. It's, it's really interesting. He actually has the prophet Jeremiah write out a divorce decree. Really? Oh, yeah, dude. It's a... It's, see, again, like, this is... I dove head first in. Well, so you know, that's interesting Not because... Not much I don't know. Do you... you um, have you ever heard... Um, Preacher, the smiling preacher from from Texas, Joel Osteen. Oh, I've written a song about him. Yeah, I a verse. Anyway. I he love didn't a I whole love song. Joel Osteen. I even went when I lived in Vegas. I went to hear him live, and I, we took another couple. I bought all the tickets, and he never mentions uh, tithing or anything in his TV broadcast. But he really mentions it when you go live. Oh, I'm sure. So you're paying twenty dollars for a ticket, and then they pass around these five gallon buckets. Mm-hmm. And they have a fund for the South American fund. They have an African fund. The whole evening was videos of starving kids and how you can donate and donate, donate. And there was music. There was a nice sermon of his. And I always respected him on TV for not asking for money. But after that, I got kind of a different taste in my mouth about the guy. And uh, one of the things I like that he said one in some of his sermons, a lot of them are repeat in a different way. He said, there are certain individuals that in your life that don't celebrate who you are. He says, it's not a sin to cut them loose. Mm-hmm. He said, he said, it's like buying an in-law a new Cadillac, and it's white. And they go, well, it's nice, but I'm really not fond of white. Mm-hmm. They kind of slap you in the face for doing something nice. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's some people that you can't please no matter how hard you try. Sure. And I think I, think I have members of my family that... Uh, in my children, that that's the case. Mm-hmm. I could jump all the hoops that they want me to. I can move back to Utah. I become another Mormon. Mm-hmm. I'm a Mormon again. I can I can go to church with them every Sunday. I can do everything they want me to do. And there would still be something that they didn't like. Well, and at the end of the day, you're the one going to bed with yourself. You know, laying there with your thoughts. And like, if well, you're not happy because you're trying to make someone else happy all the time, yeah, that's just no way to live, man. Well, I had an interesting know? call for my daughter, my oldest daughter about my youngest daughter who's going through some challenges she's 18 she's living with her mom and, um, she says dad it's your, part, your responsibility to come back to Utah and help take care of her because she was adopted and she has some challenges mm-hmm. uh, in expressing her feelings and she doesn't do well with authority figures and, and things like that and she's just kind of a challenge but she's not ready to be on her own mm-hmm. she doesn't have the Mental fortitude or the experience to be, you know, paying rent and all that stuff, mm-hmm. getting a job, and you know, even though she's got a job, but she's not, she's not there yet. 
And so I get a call that, hey, I'm being irresponsible. No one, she didn't ever once say, how's it going? In fact, she said, where are you right now? I said, I go to Deadwood every summer. I've been here five years. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. The schedule's on my website. Right. And I have eight books on my website, eight books on Amazon. Yeah, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) that people actually buy. I'm I'm not rich, but... People are giving me five stars and, mm-hmm. and like what I write about. And uh, a friend hired me for good money to write his, his life story. He's a multimillionaire. He uh, wanted a story written, two hundred fifty mm-hmm. pages, fourteen pages of pictures, mm-hmm. and it's called "My Friend Dave." Uh, I've known him forever. He was one of my companions in Paraguay. Oh, cool! So I, I've known him. I, I've kept in touch with him. So who better to write the book? But if I had written two books previous. Where he could read them and say, "This guy really knows how to write." You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have got the gig. Right. So I, I put it out there, and I just the the only way to write a book is like this: you sit down and you write a book. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to do it. You just start writing. Writing a book is like is like getting the stone for the statue to the art studio. That's the easy part. Editing is like chipping away at it. Oof. That's what takes the time and the sanding and everything else. You know, for a, for a nice marble statue. Yeah, that's that's a really good idea. So, so you know, I'm not real popular with some people in my life, but what do I do? Do I pack up? And, and I told her, I, I told her, I said, I have a really good thing going. I left Utah because I had to follow tourism. Mm-hmm. Deadwood, 1,200 population during the summer, five to ten thousand a day. Mm-hmm. Pop, there's there's tourism there. In the winter, crickets. Mm-hmm. In the winter in Florida, tourism. Mm-hmm. People who have money. They tip, and I'm in my glory wearing shorts, flip-flops, a a nice uh, beach shirt with a collar, and a fedora, a straw straw hat, and I got my gear. I'm in in heaven. I play one to four in the afternoon. I got my evenings free. Are you kidding? Yeah. See, evenings are meant for bands, and you get home at two, three in the morning. I've done that. Been there, done that. Yeah. I don't want to do it anymore. It's it's rough. At my age? (laughs) I don't want to be doing it in 30 years. No. But I'm telling you right now, Florida, and, and even other places, but where there's tourism, mm-hmm. the single guys, like you and me, mm-hmm. uh, single meaning one guitar, one voice, right. whatever, um, we play in the afternoons. Yeah. Or we start at 11 and go to 3 or 2 or whatever. That's brilliant. Yeah. How much of that, um, just the stuff with Utah and like the family, how much of that influences your songwriting at all? Do you... Oh, uh, in my book of, writing is a lot of influence. The more book writing. Yeah, okay. writing gotcha. books are very cathartic, and I, I blast the Mormon church in a few things. I wrote a book called, uh, I don't really blast it, but I, I, I make my feelings known. Sure. That's why I said after I die, my kids will figure out who I really am, because mm-hmm. that's when they'll probably read the books, if they sure. read them at all. But I wrote a book called I Believe in Hammocks, and it's about stress and how to deal with stress, and it's, it's reducing stress through hammockology, mm-hmm. the word I came up with. And I talked about social, you know, um, culture, like I was raised in. I, I talk about my life, you know, mm-hmm. being raised Mormon and what that meant for me as an adult, how controlling it was, um, how stressful it was. Because mm-hmm. if if things aren't going well in your life, you feel that you're not in favor with God. Oh, yeah. So you try harder. And you try harder. Which is so weird because you have the entire book of Job. A yeah. guy that everything went wrong for him and he was completely in favor with God, you know, but no one ever talks about that. Right, right. <laughs> he was doing everything right. He did he wasn't 
You know, the outsider look at Job and go, well, the guy must be sinning. Right. He's cheating on his wife. That's what no all wonder. his friends told him. Yeah. So in Utah, you buy a new boat, you must be in God's favor. Yeah. You get, you get a new house. Prosperity, You man. pull up in a new Lexus. Man, that guy's righteous. <laughs> That's what we're taught. Oh, my gosh. In the Book of Mormon, they say, uh, when you do as God commands, yeah. you will prosper in the land. Yeah. Does that not mean money? Does I prosper mean, in the land mean you're going to have a good crop? Yeah, then you sell it for money. Right. It's all about do as God says and he, he will reward you. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens when you're doing everything in your power to do the right thing and all hell breaks loose and yeah. you lose your business? Yeah. 9-11 hits. The stock market crashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the direct mail business. All the car dealers that I did business with quit doing direct mail. Because they didn't know if we were going to war or not. Because the sure. Twin Towers. Yeah. Well, I lasted a year, and then I lost everything I owned. Mm-hmm. My house, my wife, my family, everything. And within that year, I left the church. So I lost my culture, my religion. Mm-hmm. I went through a hard time. I went to a counselor one time, and after telling my story for about an hour, she said, Daryl, men have put a gun to their head for much less than what you've been through. Yeah. And I really realized the pain I'd gone through and everybody has their story you've been through the divorce I don't care what the circumstances with the divorce even if you are best friends with your spouse it's hurtful yeah there's always pain it's, there's pain never really and goes that, away that is where good writing comes from yeah that is where and you know good songs come from and I really believe um, right now I'm taking a hiatus from my book writing I just I just said you know I'm not inspired I mean I wrote uh like three books in two months. Mm-hmm. They're not long books. There might be 100 pages each, maybe mm-hmm. 150. And I remember in high school, if I had to write a four-page report, I'd freak out. Yeah. And now I'm freaking writing 200, 300-page books. Yeah. Fiction. I wrote one called Hobo Club. When you see a hobo on the side with a sign, in my book, it's all organized. They pay for franchises for different corners. A corner <laughs> at Walmart is more than... Then every year then during January, the off-season, they go to Florida and they have their Prevost buses and they have a conference. <laughs> Pictures. <laughs> click, click. Yeah, when I uh, here's a screen of me with an oxygen tank. My money went up when I put that on. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. Yeah, but it's kind of a comedy. Yeah, absolutely. Funny book. Hobo Club. Yeah. That's cool, man. This has been fun. I've enjoyed this. I There's a lot of stuff I did not know. <laughs> Maybe lost if you didn't want to know. No, that's good. That's good. Um, and so you come up here every every summer. You hang out yeah. in Deadwood, and you play at is it the Eagle Bar? The Nugget. The, the Nugget. Nugget. Yeah. So are they connected? Aren't they? Well, they're owned by the same guy. Right. Matt, that's right. It is. Matt, uh, Matt owns the Nugget. He owns the next little store called Broken Arrow. And yeah. He has several yeah. Broken Arrows. He's got one in Hill City. Yeah. He's got one. He had one in Rapid. He closed it down because Rapid isn't really cut out for the trinkets and all that. Sure. Sure. Where Hill City is, and he's got another one in Keystone. And yeah. Successful guy. He also um, provides the same type products to 600 gas stations. Jeez. And so he's very successful. Yeah, absolutely. Guy. And uh, I He must I be right that. with the Lord. Um, I think he just works hard and he doesn't screw people over. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, and that's, that's also right, a good way to do it. That's being right with the Lord. Yeah. And you play, is it one to four? One to four. One to four. Every, every day except Monday and Tuesday. So, so I get, okay. take Monday and Tuesday off. Wednesday through Sunday then, man. Yeah. That's nice. Been doing it four years, and every every at the end of every season, Matt says, hey, "I'd like to have you come back next year." I said, "Well, all I need is a handshake." Yeah, 
we shake and uh, I start a Memorial Day weekend and go through the end of September, sometimes in October. This October, I'm going to go back to Utah to see my kids. I'm going to go to Arizona visit some friends. I'm going to go to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Second two weeks in the middle of the month and October is the balloon festival. Okay. So I'm going to get some gigs there, hopefully, and then I'll head down to Florida, St. Augustine, and visit my friend uh, Henry, mm-hmm. musician I told you about. And then I'll then I'll jump over to the other side of the Gulf, uh, about three or four hours, five hours away, maybe f- yeah, maybe five hours to go to Englewood, where I where I live. That's cool. Yeah, and I actually found a, a real good deal on a condo in Venice Beach, which is right by Englewood. Uh, There's a Venice Beach in California. There's also one in Florida. Okay. There's a Hollywood in Florida. There's a lot of similarities with the West Coast. Sure. But it's different than California. I, I, I know California very well because mm-hmm. I've lived there. I've I've done farmer's markets all the way from, um, uh, what's the capital of California? It's up there. I'm not sure I could actually tell you. Sacramento. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. So Sacramento, where old, uh, old Arnold used to live. I did all the farmers markets here, and all the way down the Gulf Coast, or all the way down the coast, uh, into Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, Ventura, Oxnard, and all the way down to San Diego. San Diego has fifty-four farmers markets every week. Jeez! So you could you could play, just show up and play, and they'll they end up just paying you fifty bucks or. Mm-hmm. But you, you make good tips because no one plays at these farmers markets because they're above it. Yeah, they're above it, and you think with all the talent, San Diego and everything, I was the only one playing farmers markets. Then as I started playing, more people started showing up. Untapped market, man. But you know what? You didn't make a lot of money, but I tell you, I'd rather be playing and, and getting better yeah. than, than sitting at home. Yeah. Get out, meet people. And you, and you know, I'll end with what? this. There's only one place where you can get money. That's people. Mm-hmm. You never see a dog packing a wallet. <laughs> you know? People will give you money for either something they want or something they need. Yeah. It could be music. Yeah. So, it's all about relationships. Well, half People. of what you do is the connections you make in life. You know and if mean? you want to stay home and, and lock yourself in your house, good luck, but you're never going to make a penny. Unless you start getting on the internet. Mm-hmm. Again, people. Mm-hmm. But you've got to have some type of social skills or you're dead in the water. Yeah. I'll drink to that. Mm-hmm. Cheers, dude. This has been great. Thanks, Heath, for having me, man. It's always a pleasure seeing you. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I got a starter kit. I like your beard. Yeah. You my got, starter kit. You'll get here one day. Yeah. You know, maybe in 30 years. <laughs> you got that hillbilly thing going, man. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I got the hat, though. You do. Well, that's it for this episode. Time to call it a night. If you liked what you heard and you want to find out more information about other episodes and more things going on at the Heath Bar, you can check us out on our website heathbaronline.com We'll see you next time.